name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Calvin Miller was a prolific author and Christian leader in the generation that just uh, went by. He was speaking one time at the chapel at, the, at my alma mater, alma mater uh, Columbia International University, CIU. And the student guide that was with Calvin was taking him down the hall, and there were all these framed pictures down the hall. And uh, Mr. Miller, Brother Miller asked, he said, well, who are all these pictures on the wall? And the student guide told him, he said, those are all the men and women who have graduated from our school, who have been martyred for their faith in following Jesus. Dr. Miller goes on to tell the story uh, later on, and he said, at the seminary where I'm affiliated with, he said, he said, all we have are framed pictures of the presidents. He said, we frame our presidents, they frame their martyrs. Shane Claiborne uh, once said of the body of Christ here in the Western world, he said, our problem is that we no longer have martyrs, we only have celebrities. You know, and that kind of just, that just sort of struck a chord with me that he's right, you know. We don't have martyrs in the Western world much. And, uh, and what we really have is celebrities, celebrity Christians. Suffering for the faith or even dying for the faith, that which we call martyrdom, has been a part of the Christian experience from the very beginning. In the second century, uh, Tertullian, the African church father, he famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and it has been uh, for generations. And we recognize this, and we acknowledge this in history, that many people, many men, many women have laid down their lives for Christ. But I wonder if we realize, maybe our church does because we talk about this pretty, pretty regularly, but I wonder if we realize that, that Christians around the world are suffering for the cause of Christ even today. In fact, the age of the martyrs has not come to an end. They, they reportedly say today that more people are being martyred for the cause of Christ than have ever been in all the history of the world. In fact, in, in the, a century ago, we had over 26 million documented, documented cases of martyrdom in the last century. Even today, presently, this day, more than 245 million followers of the Lord Jesus in over 60 nations are facing persecution because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. I remember one Memorial Day weekend, uh, it's been many years ago, but uh, you know, I, I evidently committed a, a faux pas and that I tried to associate Memorial Day weekend with not just remembering those who died for freedom in America, but I tried to associate that with those who died for the cause of Christ. And I was corrected and I was told that uh, that detracts from the Americans who've given their life for freedom. And, and I didn't, didn't mean to do that. But I do want to say that for, for, for a long time, for a long time, I have felt like that the church, and including us, have really not done enough to acknowledge and to recognize and to realize the cost of following Jesus that so many in the world, our brothers and sisters, are paying for following Jesus because, because we, don't, we don't know anything of that. I wonder if we even realize 
the association that Jesus makes with suffering and persecution with our identity as following him. In fact, the text that we're going to look at is that Jesus foretold pretty clearly that those of us that follow him would be opposed, that there would be opposition and persecution. Uh, It was a matter of fact. Now, Jesus never said that every Christian would be killed. He never said that we'd all suffer equal persecution to the same degree or anything of that nature. Nevertheless, he prophesied and said pretty clearly that the world would oppose his people and, uh, and that not only would they oppose uh, us, but they would by force and uh, by their reasoning, they would seek to kill us and, and persecute us and be against us. You know, one question we might ask, and, and, and listen, I think there's an answer to this, but you know, we as Western Christians, we know nothing of persecution. I don't know if you'll ever listen to this or not, but we have a, I have a brother, we have a brother here in Surrey who wrote a book on how American Christians are not persecuted, and, and, and I'll grant him that, I'll grant him that premise, okay? I'll grant him that premise, but that does not, that's not to say that that's not been the lot of most of those who have followed Jesus throughout the generation. And it's not even true of those who follow Jesus in our day and age, in this time right now. We, I've said this numerous, numerous times, but we live in a, in a bubble. We live in a bubble in history where, where, where the church has not had, the church in the Western world has not had to endure persecution. We live in a bubble in history. And I think we live in a bubble as far as where we live in the Western world, right? You, take, you get outside the Western world and Christians are very often persecuted for their faith. If you happen to be our guest, we've been talking through John chapter 15. And I, and I told you the chapter really breaks down into this great title, uh, Fruit, Friends, and Foes. And uh, today we're going to talk about foes. We've talked about friends and we've talked about fruit. But we come to the last part of chapter 15. And Jesus is going to turn from his focus of last week in the middle of the chapter where he's telling his 11 disciples, you guys are my friends you guys are my friends, and talking about his friendship with them, to now talking about how they uh, would have to endure the persecution by, uh, by foes. So if you have your Bibles, John 15, we're going to begin reading in verse 18, and we're going to read all the way through 16, uh, verse 3, I believe it is. So I'm going to start reading. You follow along, reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin." Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also, also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. Now, I want to remind you again, and I I do it every week, and forgive me for that maybe, but I want to remind you that Jesus is speaking to these 11 disciples. This is a personal conversation. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have broader application for all of us, but it does mean that we need to recognize that he's saying these things to these 11 men. And whatever he means, he means categorically for, for them, and by extension, some of these things apply to us as well. So let's begin. We divide the text by, uh, in this way. Here's the reality that Jesus states. He says to them, and again to us, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, Jesus made this clear, not just in this particular incident, but in, in many others during his three years of ministry, that being his disciple would not necessarily be an easy thing that it would be a hard thing, that you would, you would undergo persecution, that you would have trials and tribulation because you were his follower. You could expect opposition. This is what he told his disciples back in Matthew 10, verse 16. Just listen, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, as, a, as shrewd as snakes, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father, that counselor that we talked about already in John chapter 15, chapter 14, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but you, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now the certainty of persecution that Jesus laid out in his words for his disciples is is undeniable, and it's sobering as well. It's very, very clear. Jesus said that myriads and myriads of men and women who follow me will be persecuted throughout the ages, and that has been true. That's the reality. Here's the reason for that. The reason is the world hated me, Jesus said. They will hate you. makes it really, really clear. The reason we undergo persecution is because the world didn't like Jesus. The world hated Jesus. And and now it hates us by extension because we are Christians. We are little Jesus. We are little Christ. We are supposed to resemble him and act like him and look like him. Not only physically, but look like him in our mannerisms, in our attitudes, and in our actions. He says, they, that is the Jews of his day, he says of them, he says um, that they have hated him because of his words and his life. In other words, his words and his life condemned them. His point was that his life brought about or or put a spotlight on their hypocrisy to the point that he says that, quoting from the Psalms, Jesus says, they hated him without cause. They said they were following God, but when God shows up and he's right there in front of them, they hate him. And so Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. They really don't love God and they really are not following God. 
And then he says, the reason why the world will hate us as followers of Jesus is because they hated him and they persecute us because they persecuted him. In other words, our lives are are but an extension of his. At least that's what they're supposed to be. And he said, because of that, people are going to persecute you. People are going to be against you. Jesus, he says, he calls us out of the world. He had, to, he had to kind of refine that a little bit, lest people misunderstand. He says, I'm not, I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm not removing you from there. In fact, he's told us on occasion that he, we are salt and light in the world. We're supposed to have a preserving, uh, changing effect on the world around us. So he's not removing us, per se, from the world. We're going to live our lives just like everyone else. He says, but I'm taking you out of the world system, and you're going to be different. And, and so your lives are going to stand in, in conviction of the world. Your, li- your lives are going to stand in opposition to the world. And that's how it's supposed to be. I'm going to say this a num- numerous times. It's not in my notes, but I want to say it now. We're to be different than the world. I mean, we're supposed to look different and act different and be different than everyone else. And I don't mean, I don't mean by that that we're supposed to be holier than anyone else. Or We're supposed to be different because Jesus lives within us. And Jesus was different than the, than the populace of his day. I mean, he loved the marginalized. He loved the poor. He, he loved the folks that the world wrote off. He was kind. He was gracious. He was gentle. And yet he was firm, filled with conviction. And that's the kind of men and women that we need to be. And and here's what Jesus is saying. If if you let me live through you, you're going to stand in stark opposition to the world. And your life is going to bring conviction to them. Conviction in the sense that when they see you, they're going to know. I mean, the Spirit of God can't help but, but say, that's how you're supposed to be. And they're going to feel that conviction. So you have two choices when you're convicted. When you know you're doing wrong, you have two choices. You know what they are, right? One of them is to repent, change, fix yourself. In other words, by the power of God, let God change you. So if conviction's there, you can do that. But if you don't do that, you know what you tend to do, don't you? We tend to remove the source of conviction. So we do that by either taking ourselves away from that person or in, in the world, they seek to kill that person. They seek to remove that person altogether. And so Jesus said, you know, they're going to they're gonna hate you because they've hated me, because you're supposed to be like me, and you're going to be like me, and, and your lives are going to bring conviction. In verse 19, let me read it again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. In other words, and by the way, this is a good thing for us in, in our Western world that's changing. I mean, if we go along with the world, the world's just going to absolutely love us. I mean, because we're, we're, we're not going to be any kind of conviction to the world. We're not to go along with the world. And again, don't read, and I'm going to say this again later on in this morning, but don't read me saying, don't hear me saying that somehow I'm saying be rude, unkind, be, you know, I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying, though, is that if we stand for the things that God says are morally right, things that our, that our society, our Western world used to say, used to all agree whether they were following Jesus or not, do not agree anymore. If we say those things, then, then it's either remove us, you know, or ignore us, but those things are going to bring conviction. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. You're different than the world. The world, again, it's not, it's not that he's taking us out of the world, but he's taking us out of this world system in which we live. You don't belong to yourself, you belong to the Lord. And so your life is supposed to represent God's. And as it does, it brings conviction. Jesus says, they hated me, they're going to hate you by association. 
Verse 21, they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. Now here Jesus tells us one of the reasons why they'll be against us is because they have suppressed the truth of God in their hearts. They don't know the Lord. And so they're going to do this because they don't know God. He says that in verse 21, that was true of them. The reason the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Hindus and they're killing and persecuting Christ followers is because they don't, they, don't know the, they don't know the Lord. That's why they're doing it. Remember Jesus on the cross when he's being put to death, having been persecuted yet unto death? Remember what he says? Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. That's right, Abigail. They don't know what they're doing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. P- people are doing this because they do not know God. In fact, Jesus would say in 16, 2 and 3, he said, a fact, and time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. And can I say one thing here about the Crusades going back generations ago? You know, those Christians who went over and killed Muslims in Jesus' name, you know, they did that because they didn't know the Father and they didn't know Jesus. You see, if you go out and murder people, you know, you just don't know the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. So here's the reality. They're going to persecute you. Here's the reason they, they hate you because they hated me. And here's the result. He says, the one who hates me also hates my Father. Now, Jesus said they did it in in ignorance. They they did what they did because they didn't understand or they didn't know. But the ramification is nonetheless the same. You persecute believers in the Lord Jesus, you are standing against God. You don't don't know God. That's the reason or that's the result. They're going to be standing against God. They're going to be standing against the Lord. Jesus says in verse 24, now they have seen and hated both me and and the Father. And he says they're without excuse. Why are they without excuse? They're without excuse. If you look at the text, because he said, I did things that no one could do. I did things that only God could do. The reason why the world stands condemned is because Jesus demonstrated with, with, uh, with absolute clarity, no ambiguity, he was God. He did that by healing the blind, raising the dead, walking on water, calming storms. Jesus did things that only God can do, and so he left them without excuse. How sad it's going to be on the day of judgment when when many people are going to stand before God and God's going to say, depart from me, you doers of iniquity, because, you remember what he says? Because I never knew you. And they're going to be standing there thinking they know God, but they never knew the, the true God. I know something in us wants to say, yay, yippee yay, right? All these people who are murdering, you know, our brothers and sisters and just who have, you know, the, the atrocities they commit and, and, and we want to say, yay, yay, man, I'm glad God, I'm glad they're getting justice. I'm glad that God is, is going to be doing all of that. But that's not, you know, we, we all want justice, but that's not the heart of God. You know, God, God desires, the Bible says pretty clearly, that all men come to repentance. God's desire is not for any to perish. And so, you know, you know I, I guess, maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's going to be an aspect of the judgment of God at the, at the great white throne judgment where God's not going to be filled with joy at his destruction of the wicked. I think there's going to be a sadness about the heart of God, yet he's righteous and he will judge righteously, righteously the whole world. Remember the God-man hanging on the cross said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The God-man, the, the God, God who became one of us is 
is saying to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So, you know, God's heart is not, is not going to be filled with glee at that moment, and neither should, neither should ours. We should recognize that even now. now. Here's the rationale for why Jesus is telling his 11 disciples this, and I think by extension telling us. He says there at the beginning of chapter 16, he says, I'm telling you this to keep you from stumbling. I'm telling you this so that ahead of time you know it's going to happen. You know they're going to do all these things that I'm telling you, and, and, and I don't want you to lose heart. And I've thought about this an awful lot, but why, why would this help you to know that Jesus is saying, how is this going to help the persecuted brothers and sisters? How would this help you if you happen to find yourself amongst those? How does this help you? Well, I think it helps us because God is saying, I, I understand. You're not alone in this. I totally get what's happening to you. I'm telling you ahead of time, it's going to happen to you. So when it does happen to you, you will know. It's not that I'm unaware. I'm right there with you. We've said this many times. We've said this many times that in, in our suffering, God is with us. And I think he's saying, I'm telling you this now. So when it happens to you, you'll know I'm with you. I understand it. Don't, don't, be, um, don't be disillusioned by this. Don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Even in our minimal peer persecution, and I shouldn't say, in our, in, even in our minimal peer, what's a lighter word than persecution? Our, our, our peer ostracization, if that's a word. They ostracize us. We receive in America. Even that's easier to know. Even that's easier to take when I know that God knows what I'm going through. All right, that's the text. Now, what should we do from, from the text? What should we do if by some chance we are, are persecuted? Well, I've got a few things I want to encourage you with. Number one is this. Uh, if you ever find yourself at, at the end of persecution, and we've already established that much of the world does, much, much of the Western world does not. But if you ever find yourself there, here's the first thing you need to do. Depend on the counselor, depend on the helper, depend on the one that God has put in our hearts to always be with us and never leave us. And I think that's why he interjects. Remember when we were going over this, the Holy Spirit, the counselor back in 14 through 16, and there's this one verse here at the end of chapter 15 about the counselor being with you. I think Jesus is, is trying to say that when you are persecuted, because that's the context in which we find that verse, if you're persecuted, remember, Remember this, the counselor is going to be with you. Look to him. Look to him to help you because he will help you in the midst of that. Remember what Jesus said in the Matthew passage. He says, don't worry about what to say because the spirit of the father, he'll tell you what to say and he'll tell you how to say it because he's going to be with you. And, and even if I'm stretching it a little bit, and that's not what Jesus means by introducing the Spirit here, it's clear from our study a few weeks ago, the Spirit is there to help us. And what better time, what more needed time would we need the Spirit of God to help us than when we're undergoing persecution and suffering and trials? I mean, that's when the Holy Spirit's going to be there for us, and he is, he's, going to, he's going to help us. So if you suffer as a believer then please look to the Spirit who dwells within you. Look to Him. Depend on Him. Ask Him for help. Remember He's with you. Let Him help you. Number two, if you're at the, if you're at the, point, of, if you're at the point of the spear, the point of persecution, then here's the second thing to do. Cry out to God for deliverance. I mean, it's okay. Look to God to deliver you. Here's what... Uh, the psalmist says a couple of times, and there's, there's lots of places in the scripture where we can find this, but here's the psalmist. Those who persecute me with evil purpose draw near. They are far from your law. 
Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long ago I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. Look on my misery and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause, redeem me, give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your justice. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not swerve from your decrees. I look at the faithless, faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commandments. Consider how I love your precepts. Preserve my life according to your steadfast love. Psalm 109, that was Psalm 119. Psalm 109 says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is pierced within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken like shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. So if you're being persecuted or if you're at the point of a spear, then, then pray and plead and cry out to God for his deliverance because there are times when only he can deliver. Now, he may not deliver. Now, I know some people want to try to tell us that God always delivers us from persecution, but there wouldn't be a wall of martyrs. There wouldn't be a wall of martyrs at CIU if that's true. It's not true. I don't care what anybody tells you. It's not true. God sometimes doesn't deliver us from the death that our enemies are going to bring against us as followers of Jesus. Sometimes God won't remove the persecution. And again, persecution may be too strong a word. The, 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 the ridicule, ridicule that you may experience as a Christian or, or the, the cost it may cost you at your job or something. You know, he may not deliver you from those things. Okay? But nonetheless, you cry out to him. And that's what Jesus did in the garden, right? Night before he's to die. What's he doing in the garden? He's praying, right? And what is he praying? Anybody remember? You know what he prayed. Father, take this cup from me. I don't want this cup. And then how's he in this prayer? Yeah. But whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you allow, whatever you, whatever you give me in this prayer, uh, that's what I want. And that's how we should pray. Cry out to God. Number three, get out of Dodge if you can. That might sound funny, but I think it's okay to escape persecution. It's okay to flee it if you can. And, and, and the reason I say that was that Matthew passage back where Jesus tells his disciples, if they begin to persecute you, remember what he said? He said, flee to another village. Get out of Dodge. If you're being persecuted, then, then, then move if you can. That's what so many of our brothers and sisters in Syria did. I mean, they're being, they're being slaughtered by ISIS and they're, and they're fleeing. They're fleeing their homeland. So that, so that they would escape death. It's okay to flee. Man, there's so much I want to say about that. I don't know how, I don't know how we can do it, but our brothers and sisters, I mean, it's, just, it's a pipe dream. I'm just going to say it out loud, though. But our brothers and sisters who are fleeing like that, our doors should be open to receive them into our homes if there was a way to do that. Get out of Dodge. Number four, keep the right perspective in the midst of, of, of it all, Okay. In other words, when you're undergoing persecution, keep the right perspective. And you say, well, what is that? Well, I'm going to give you two things. Number one is don't forget that God, the God of the universe, will be just. And he will bring about justice on all injustice. And he, he, his justice will be perfect. And so in Romans 12, 19, it says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So here's the right perspective. 
And let me, let me take us out of our own setting, and let's, let's, let's pretend that we're one of those African brothers and sisters who are, I think it's Ethiopia or Kenya, I can't remember which country, where they are really dying for their faith over there. And they are, they are losing everything uh, because their homes are being burned and they're being killed. Let's pretend we're one of them. You know, in the midst of all of that, you want to despair and say, you know, where is, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of righteousness? Why, why is this being allowed to happen? Well, here's what God says. Never forget that there is coming a day of justice. Never forget that. And in fact, Paul says, because you know that, let God take the revenge. Let God be the one who brings about justice. You, not so much. Let me take care of it. And then the second thing to remember when it comes to perspective is don't forget that this is not the final act. I mean, if, that, if there's anything I could say to all of us, and again, I'm not being persecuted, so I wonder, would what, what I really live this out if I'm, if I'm at the end of a spear, if I'm at the point of a spear? I wonder if I'd live it out. But don't forget, this is not the final act. Here's what I mean by that. Malachi <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 1. For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, <clears throat> says the Lord of armies, not leaving them a root or branches. So that's really God's justice, all right? But verse 2 and 3, listen. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes into the soles of your feet on the day I'm preparing, says the Lord of armies. And then in the last book, last chapter, next to the last chapter, we read, we read, we read it often. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, am, <clears throat> I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Never, ever, ever lose perspective. And that is that, I mean, I wonder if I'm at the end of a spear, would I lose perspective or not? But the perspective that, that, that God reminds us of, this is not the final act. This is not what it's all about. I mean, I mean, don't misunderstand. This is what it's about, where I live now. But there is coming something so much better promised for us. Don't ever forget it. And so our brothers and sisters who are watching their friends being killed, or their homes being burned, or they're spending years in prison, they just got to continually remind themselves by faith. I'm not seeing the promise. This is not where the promise is. Hebrews chapter 11, over and over and over again, people saw God do things. But at the end of chapter 11, it says, all these people, some of them were sawn in half. Some of them were killed. They lost their homes. They lost everything. But it was okay because this was not what they were hoping in. They were looking for the day when God's kingdom, when God reigns over all and his kingdom is established in righteousness. So what do we do? We, we keep the right perspective in the midst of, of that persecution and suffering. And then the last thing, and then I'm done. And the last thing that I want to uh, tell you, share with you 
what do I do when I'm being persecuted? This is, the most, this is really the most important. Maybe not the most important in, uh, in helping us endure, but I think this is the most important. And here it is. It's love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. Love your enemies and pray for those that have their heel on your head. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his followers this edict. This is Jesus preaching to his followers. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Man, what, what an ethic. It's so different than the world. No wonder we're going to stand out. No wonder we're going to stand out. If we behave and act like Jesus calls us to act right here, we will be so different than the world. And I tell you what, this kind of life will bring conviction on people who are living for themselves. And what do you do when there's conviction on your life? You either change or you get rid of the conviction. And that's what happens to so many people. We studied this passage a long time ago, and, and I'm not going to do it again this morning, but I do want to remind you that back then I, I, I said, I don't think Jesus means you can't defend yourself. I don't think that's what he was talking about. Instead, what I think he was talking about was that instead of hating our enemies, we love them. Instead of retaliating, we work for healing and for restoration. So in Romans chapter 12, the passage I read you, the first couple of verses uh, from a few minutes ago where it says, don't take vengeance, let that be God's vengeance. Here's how, here's how that same passage ends. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drinks. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're to be so different than everyone else. We're to live different. We're, we're to love our enemies. I don't think that uh, in our lifetime, any of you are going to be asked to lay down your life for someone. I really don't. Maybe some of you that are planning on going to some of the harder fields, maybe you will be asked to lay down your life one day, but, um, but most of us won't. But you know what? We're, we're living in a day where following Jesus marginalizes you on the job, maybe doesn't allow you to speak as freely as you would like, and if you do speak, there's going to be a cost to it, but you know you should speak. Uh, you're going to be ridiculed on social media. And again, it's hard to call that persecution in light of what so many brothers and sisters go through. But all those things, all those things are true in our culture and will be happening in greater, in greater measure as time goes on. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. We are to love people when they behave that way. We're not to act in like kind. We are not permitted to be mean-spirited, everyone, or unloving are unkind in our responses to our enemies. Strong? Absolutely. Truthful? Yes. Arrogant and malicious? Never. Nasty and cruel? Absolutely not. 
I mean, you see that, you see that all the time. That's not how we're supposed to be. I want to say it again. We are not of this world. We're different. We belong to, we, our allegiance is to a different king. It's to a different kingdom. We march to the drumbeat of a different leader. And it should be evident in our lives. It should be seen by all around us. So that, so that we act like Jesus. Father, forgive them because they really don't know what they're doing. They don't know you. Forgive them. Jesus said, if you do that, you're going to put coals on your enemy's head. And I don't think he means you're going to set them on fire and burn them alive. I don't think that's what he means. I think metaphorically he means you're going to bring conviction to their lives if you love them in response to their, in response to their hatred. So I don't know how practical this message is for us. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some practical stuff for us in what we undergo in our culture and all. But there is one practical application that really doesn't come from the text, but it comes out of the text, I think, and it's this. And it is that though you and I are not being martyred for our faith and our homes are not being burned down for our faith and we're not, most of us are not losing our jobs or anything like that, we do have a huge contingency of our family that is, that is losing everything, that is, that is being killed, whose families are being killed. And we have a life of ease and we have money and we have creature comforts. And here's the application that I think stems out of this, and it would be, let's not forget our brothers and sisters. Let's not forget the family that is suffering. Now, I've, I've done this before. I mean, I've, I've uh, admonished us and urged us to not forget them before. And maybe we need to do it more often. Let's not forget them. The 245 million brothers and sisters who are in harm's way this year because they live in 60 countries who persecute those of us who follow Jesus. You remember the Insanity of God book that we, most of us read together? You remember the part, those of you that read it and uh, those of you that didn't, um, Nick was in China and he was sharing with this home group movement, I mean this home church movement, they, they met, you know, secret out in the woods and they're all meeting together and so um, he tells them, you know, he hears all these miraculous things that God has done through them, right? It's these things that we don't experience. And uh, he's telling, but they're asking him questions about us, right, back here in the West, and how we can meet like this, and nobody's afraid of anybody coming in the door, or none of us are going to lose anything because we came here this morning. And uh, so he's telling them all of this, and he noticed as he tells them, and you probably heard the story, but let me tell it again, he notices the mood just go down and down, and then everybody begins to weep. And he's like, what? why is everybody crying? Why is everybody crying? And they end up saying to him, because they said, because God must love you more than us. And, uh, and, and, and Nick's like, no, are you kidding? Just look at all the things that God does among you that we don't get to experience in the Western world. And he named all these things that they had experienced. And they're not moved by that. And they say, but Nick, look at, look at you. You can go to church. You can have buildings. You have music in your and, and Christian music, and it's on the radio, and, and you can, and, and nobody comes and arrests you, and you don't have to go to prison for your faith, and they, they go on and on and on, talking about 
the privileges that we have as a Christian. And Nick says that in that moment, he recognized the grace of God that we have experienced in our Western bubble all these centuries actually now. I guess my challenge to us this morning is, and and there's nothing, we shouldn't feel guilty about that. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. But however, we should use this privilege that we have over our brothers and sisters to do everything we can to help them. So what can we do to help them? Uh, One thing I would say is pray. And uh, you know, uh, and again, that seems little, doesn't it? Pray. But I I don't think it is little. If, if indeed what we believe is true, that our Father hears our prayers and responds to our prayers, I, I think prayer matters, matters. And so I think it's important for us to pray. Somebody once said, you can do more than pray, but you can't do more until you pray. So it's kind of the foundation. But there's more that we can do. We can, uh, we can use our finances. We can use our finances to help our brothers and sisters who are marginalized around the world. And you all know, I've shared with you my own struggle with how does that fit in my life? How do I do that? And I don't have an answer. I wish I did, but I, but I am challenged all the time that my finances should, my, my privileges and finances should go to help our brothers and sisters around the world. But the third thing I'd say, and I've said this before, is that we should, and I didn't follow through, so I don't know that any of you did either, but I did for a season. And we can actually write our brothers and sisters, you know, because there's two ministries um, uh, the Voice of the Martyrs and, uh, oh, what's the other one? Um, open Doors, and there's probably more, but those are the two biggies. And you can, those two ministries, if you would just, if you'd want to, you can actually go to them and you can find brothers and sisters who are in prison and you can write them letters that they translate and make sure those brothers and sisters get them. I mean, that's not much, but that is something we could do that I think would be huge. Let me tell you a story. On March 5th, 2017, police arrested Kao San Kwang. Kwang. <laughs> Probably not saying his name right. Let's just call him John Kao. A Chinese pastor known for his work among the Myanmar poor. Authorities charged Pastor Kao with organizing illegal crossings of national borders. And one year later, they sentenced him to seven years in prison. Pastor Kao is 58. He's married to an American citizen as a longtime resident of North Carolina. The pastor, who is currently being held in a Menglian uh, detention center, had been uh, crossing the border between China and Miramar for three years without incident and with the knowledge of the Chinese officials in the Was state of northern Miramar. Pastor Kao helped build 16 schools. This was March of 2017. Helped build 16 schools that serve 2,000 impoverished children. He also established educational projects to help alleviate poverty among the local minority groups. Experts believe his arrest and sentencing are related to the ruling Communist Party's attempt to control the house church movement. And if you've been keeping up with the news, there's been an awful lot of that in China in these days. Pastor Kao became a believer in his 20s after he married an American citizen. He attended seminary, settled in the U.S., but felt God lead him to return as a missionary to his country of China. He worked for many years establishing schools in China before turning his attention to neighboring Miramar in, 19, in 2014. According to his son, his work in Miramar was much more humanitarian than his previous work with the house churches in China. Pray for his, uh, this pastor's wife, Jamie Powell, and their sons, Benjamin and Amos. This is an update from July of, last, of this year. Was it last two months ago now? July 25th, just a little over a month, a court in uh, Hunan, 
upheld Pastor John Kyle's seven-year sentence after a farce of an appeal process. The decision was handed down in a court surrounded by heavy police presence. Only only Kyle's 83-year-old mother and sister, along with their lawyer, were allowed to hear the verdict. In August, John was transferred to a prison in Kunming. I chose him. There's all kinds of stories like that. But you can go online and you can write a letter to, uh, to Pastor Kyle. You can write a letter to him and say, you know, I know of your situation and just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. I mean, I can only imagine if I'm Pastor Kyle what that would be like to get a letter like that. I'm going to end this morning by reading to us Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, will he, he, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right hand and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will respond and answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't care for me. And then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and and not help you? And then he answered them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I invite you this morning to put your faith in Jesus, but I also invite you to have put your faith in Jesus to not forget our brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us such a sobering word, or giving those 11 men such a sobering word, and by extension giving it to us as well. And we've seen it lived out throughout the generations since you left, that, that your, your church, your people have been persecuted uh, for your name's sake. We recognize it's because not necessarily anything personal against us, but they have hated you first and they hate us consequently. Lord, I pray that we would, you would help us love our enemies. That's been uh, the focus here at the end of this, uh, of this talk, Lord, that you would help us love our enemies and uh, love our brothers and sisters who are who are under their uh, domination. I pray that you would help those of us that are free and those of us that have so much. Help us, Lord, to use what you've provided for us to help our family, to help our brothers and sisters. Show us how to do that. Lord, put it in our heart to a desire to do more than we're doing now when it comes to helping. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.